Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, conversations designed to help you as you live, learn, and lead through pain. And now the host of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, Davey Blackburn. Hello, welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. My name is Davey and joining me are co-host Mel. Mel, we are going to part two of Chris and Emily Norton because part one was so good. Yeah, I really enjoyed last week's episode. So if you haven't heard last week's, stop what you're doing, go back, listen to last week's, and then jump into this episode. Um, But I have been so thankful for um, Chris's vulnerability and his transparency Mm -hmm. as he was walking through this trial. And um, there's so much that uh, I've been able to take away, and I'm really looking forward to the second part of this interview. But before we um, go on with that, um, we are going to continue our, this is actually our final episode of our mini series. This is the end of our mini series, isn't it? We need to do more mini series, Mel. I agree. Because this has been really fun. I know. I've really enjoyed this. Okay. We're making a note. We're going to go ahead and look over to Taylor, our podcast producer, and tell her, hey, listen, make a note, more miniseries, okay? And and you know what? Taylor's so great. She's, nothing gets past Taylor. Nothing gets past Taylor. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So we are talking about the ninth and the 10th waypoints to your pain to purpose video course. Yep. Um, that's releasing on July 14th. And I'm a little too excited about this, but, um, we're going to be talking about the ninth waypoint, which is discover your purpose. And this is the tagline for nothing is wasted. Um, helping you find your purpose in pain. And Davey, tell us, why do you think that this is so important? Yeah. Well, I think that in order for you to really move through your valley, you have to begin um, discovering the purpose and meaning behind your valley. Now, you're not always going to have your why questions. When I say meaning, I don't mean all your answer, all your questions answered, because we're not going to have all of our questions answered on this side of eternity. And mm-hmm. it's actually important for us to ask why questions. We don't want to shy away from that, because that that's a, a space where we enter into some really deep relational um, intimacy with God as we're navigating our valley. And he reveals so much about himself and about ourselves as we ask why questions. But there has to be a point where we shift over from why God to what now God. Mm, okay. And so we have to shift our why questions to what questions and those what questions are, okay, what do I do out of this? What's the purpose and meaning that you're trying to reveal to me in this? And I full-heartedly don't believe that trial, tragedy, transition are roadblocks to God's plan for our destiny in our life. And in fact, I believe if you let God do what He desires to do inside of you, they can be launch pads into our destiny. I mean, God likes to take the things that He wired inside of us, our DNA, and He takes our devastation and He leads us to our destiny. Come on, doesn't that sound like a preacher line right there? I got more. He takes our tools and toils and turns them into a testimony. Come on, Mel. He takes our <laughs> passions and pain and directs it into purpose. I'm, just I'm here preaching for the right alliteration for all day long. Keep yeah. it going. <laughs> well, all of that is, it's, it is, it's fun and it can be kind of cheesy, but the reality is, is redemption of our story begins when you and I start helping other people out of our pain. When we find a purpose in this. Yeah. And I really think you're onto something because the times that I find most refreshing are when I take my eyes off myself and I first put them on to the Lord, but then I put them on to other people and I become aware of the needs around me. And that brings so much life. Yeah. You want something else that's cheesy? My mom used to always tell me, Davey, the key to joy is Jesus first, others second, yourself last. J-O-Y. And that's so cheesy, but it's so true. And this is the session where we do a deep dive on how do we actually discover our purpose, how God hardwired us, our specific unique giftings, how he's going to use that, combine it with the pain and the trial that we've gone through to launch us into our destiny. Okay. Well, the next waypoint is waypoint 10, and this is the last waypoint, design your plan. When you say design your plan, do you mean follow God's plan? Uh, You know, kind of. Um, We certainly have to follow God's principles, and God's laid out His principles for us in Scripture, but each one of us have to take God's principles and begin to apply it to our valley and come up with a plan, 
come up with a plan for how are we going to follow Jesus in the midst of this. So mm-hmm. this is not necessarily the where we go, because Jesus kind of determines the where we go. This is the how we go about following Jesus. And so what we've done, and the reason we created this video course is because it can be very difficult to comb through all of the Bible and try to figure out how do I hear from God on where he wants me to go, what he wants me to do. I mean, when I was a pastor, Mel, the primary question I got was, what's God's will for my life? Now, as someone who's helping people through pain, the primary question is, what is God trying to teach me in this? What's his will and purpose in this pain? And so what we've done is we've basically curated so many of these principles from scripture and we've put them into waypoints. And then we want to help you in this very last session, take these waypoints and, uh, and help you to create or construct a plan for moving forward. At some point, you, you've got to walk these waypoints out. And so it's not going to happen by default. It actually has to be designed. It's something that has to be intentional. Nobody unintentionally got through their valley or just stumbled through their valley. Uh, you're either stuck in it or you intentionally created a plan to walk through it. And so um, I, I believe again, and we've said this over and over, that the only way out of your valley is through it, but you have to have a carefully devised plan that you execute it. And again, God spelled out the principles. We've curated them. We'd like to be your guide as we point you to Jesus, the person who really is going to be essentially the shepherd who walks you through this valley of the shadow of death. So we're just here. Okay. So you've just discussed the 10 waypoints on our last five episodes. They sound phenomenal. Um, If you yourself are walking through grief, if you know somebody, if you are in um, a community group or life group, this could be incredible content Mm -hmm. to walk through together. And we will be launching this on July 14th. Yep. Um, if you pre-order, you can get this, all of Davies video courses and a teaching guide for $49. Um, but after July 14th, it's going to bump up to $99 unless you're one of our $20 a month partners, which at means you can get it at the $49 rate at any point. Yeah. So again, go to mypaintopurposeplan.com. Go ahead and pre-order it. It comes out in just a couple days as the release of this episode. And um, Mel, I'm super excited about people listening to part two of this interview. I'm telling you, it's so good. It is just rich with rich with inspiration. So make sure you grab your notebook. Or if you're listening in the car, maybe you just need to file this away in your memory bank. <laughs> but listen to this interview with Chris and Emily Norton. Welcome back to uh, part two of my interview with Chris and Emily Norton. This has been an awesome interview. If you have not listened to part one, you have to go back and listen to it. In fact, pause this right now. Go back and listen to part one because you'll be totally lost if you don't (laughs) do that. Uh, At the end of part one, Chris, Emily, you guys uh, referenced some trials and struggles that you went through after you walked across the stage for graduation this major publicity happened. You're making all these appearances on these big national um, media spots. And it seems like to me, you know, it's like, wow, this is, things are going to be moving well for you guys. And, and it's going to be like a kind of a fairy tale ending for you. But I think sometimes that people, um, they decide that they're not going to be a victim in their trial. They're going to move through this victoriously. And the decision is just kind of the first step because, Um, oftentimes you get into it and you realize there's a little bit more struggle and trial than what you originally thought. Um, So talk to me a bit about some of these trials that happened right after all of this, uh, this media, you guys got married and you're stepping into life together. Yeah. So after the graduation walk, um, I actually went into a really deep depression and struggled with anxiety. And I'm going to take you back a ways, um, just so you can kind of get a little background on it all. And I've kind of figured out a little bit of why it happened. Um, so when I was in high school, 
I had a, since I was really young, I had a strong passion for wanting to help others. Mm. So I naturally went to people who were struggling, who had gone through terrible things. And like Chris talked about earlier, I asked deep questions and I get to know people. So they were opening up about like this abuse that they had gone through, um, things that I could never have imagined because mm. the family I was, I grew up in was extremely loving, caring, always there, always supportive, didn't miss any of my sporting events or school events. Um, so it was for me, uh, eye-opening experience meeting people who didn't have that. I started mentoring when I was in high school and I met Whitley, who we actually just adopted a few months ago. Mm. Um, I won't go too much into that, but she ended up getting taken away from her mom and placed into foster care. And that's when I first knew what foster care was. And I knew that there were kids without a family, kids that didn't know what love was. And so I started putting that on my shoulders like mm. I know about it. It's my responsibility to do something about it because um, no one else is. Yeah. So I started taking like, I'm very, very empathetic. And I mm. started taking their pain and putting myself in their shoes, uh, trying to anyways. And that drove me to do everything I possibly could to be there and help them. And I knew I was making a big difference. And um, after high school, you know, went to college for um, family services and my whole plan, like I'm going to do everything I can. I'm going to work in a group home, help kids in foster care. And again, um, had an internship with teenagers and it was very, very hard. There was some girls, including Whitley, who had tried committing suicide during this time. And um, the times that I actually stopped them from committing suicide, um, where if it wasn't for me, like calling them, because I knew they were struggling, like they literally would have committed suicide. So that was, I was taking all of that. And I had, I had a very strong relationship with God, um, up until like I started in college and with Chris and, you know, when we were so focused on everything else, it, it was a back burner. It wasn't yeah. on the, it wasn't in the front. And, um, I never prayed for myself. I always prayed for these kids who were struggling. And I didn't understand, like my mom sat me down one time, like, I worry so much about you. You have to take care of you. And I was so confused. Why would I have to take care of myself? Like I have had a wonderful life. I, there's nothing bad that's ever happened to me. And the people who need help are the kids that I'm trying to help who have been abused and had terrible things happen. Mm -hmm. So anyway, it got to be a lot um, with that internship with the teenagers. I started questioning if I could even make a difference. If I was making a difference, I wasn't depending on God and I wasn't helping the people I was trying to help depend on God either. Mm -hmm. And that's, that was a whole problem. Um, I was carrying the weight, which we aren't meant to carry the weight. Right. So it started weighing me down and literally like mentally paralyzing me. Um, so before we moved to Michigan to do training for the walk, I started noticing a little bit, like having like just weird thoughts and being more tired and like starting to lose myself, mm -hmm. honestly, my passion, my, the care that I have for other people. Um, it was just, it was getting to be so much that I start stopped feeling. Uh, and so at the graduation walk and all that was a huge distraction and I buried it down and like, I'm very independent, hate being vulnerable, yeah. hate talking about things. <laughs> I will talk with everyone else about their story. But like, for me, it is extremely hard because I'm so independent. Um, so I, I just buried it down and didn't let it out. Right. So after the graduation walk, it was like this high and then it was bam, back to reality. Like, what are we going to do now? I was so focused on helping Chris, but now it's like, I'm done with college. I have to do something, all the pressures of the society that puts on you and like myself of what am I going to do? Right. Um, and I, I went down into very, very deep depression where literally I, my thoughts were, I'm never going to be myself again. Like there is no hope. I mm -hmm. wanted to be dead. Um, I prayed. The only time I prayed to God was when I prayed for him to take my life. Wow. Cause I had got to that point again. Like I did not praying to God, like I would just bawl. So I stopped doing it because it was a, in a vulnerable state mm. of asking for help and like feeling like I needed help, like felt so weak to me. So I was like, there's no way, like, I'm just, I can't do that. So I pushed it aside. Um, so that led down a very hard path. Chris didn't understand that at all. I was searching for like the love and stuff through him instead of through God. Um, because I was so far from him yeah. that our relationship, like we had major issues, mm. major challenges. Um, and yeah, it was a really like dark time where like, I, I felt like I had stopped living, but life still went on. Mm. And, um, I was just felt like, you know, I was drowning, honestly. Wow. 
What was this like for you, Chris, as you were watching her go through this and as you guys were um, working through these challenges together? You know, what what did those challenges look like? If you feel comfortable sharing, um, how did you guys have to work, work through those, deal with them, respond to them? Yeah. So, I mean, after the graduation, you know, I was on this, this high, like we're this unstoppable force. Things are amazing. And then, you know, then I felt this, you know, this tension, you know, Emily just became a little bit more irritable, angry. And I just didn't understand it. Uh, of like, where is this coming from? Like, life is great. We have it so great. And the, but there was this emptiness uh, that Emily was feeling. And she would just bury herself in her thoughts and her feelings and wouldn't let it out. And um, I'm trying to like be a mind reader for her and figure out what's going on. And so like when things would set her off, um, like it could be, you know, I left my uh, play on on the table and I didn't take it back. It, it would just, it would, it would infuse her to like be so angry and just mm. would lash out on me. And I'm me not being able to understand where it's coming from. I, I would then go on the defensive then I would start defending myself and my own honor. Mm. And then it just kind of would be this cycle of things would trigger one person or the other. And, you know, I felt like I wasn't being respected. Emily felt like she wasn't being loved. And we just went in this, this ring of fire, really. And then, you know, Emily thought maybe she was, you know, we kept thinking maybe it was a health issue. Maybe it was something um, like she had all these headaches. Maybe it's a brain tumor. Mm. Um, so we went and Emily got, saw a specialist. She did. CAT scans and did all these testing because that had to explain why she's tired, why she has these headaches. It couldn't be depression, right? Because nothing bad happened. So mm. we were writing that as not a possibility. And, and then every, her health came back clean. And so there's this confusion. And when, you know, I thought maybe she was depressed. And then it started to scare me when she talked about praying to God to take her life. And I wanted, I didn't, I didn't know what to do. Like, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm a motivational speaker. I'll just motivate her. I'll just talk to her. <laughs> and that didn't go, that made it worse. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and then I tried to encourage her to do the things that she loved, but she had no motivation or drive. Um, and so I just felt so helpless, you know, seeing someone I loved um, just feel so angry and feel so uncared for. And I had to always com- try to communicate that I did love her. And um, it was just, it was really hard because I felt so, I felt more helpless in this situation, a relationship than I did with my spinal cord injury. Wow. Um, I felt like my spinal cord injury, I had a sense of control. Uh, but with this, when you're, I was trying to help her, I felt so helpless and it would make myself angry uh, because I felt like I, I, I just couldn't do anything. And, you know, when she would talk about these hard things, I wanted her to open up to, you know, see a psychiatrist or, you know, get medical help or talk to her family. And, and she told me that if I ever would tell anyone that she would leave me. Mm. That so I she, said, I will leave. I will shut my phone up. I will be gone. Mm. Like that is how much I hated being vulnerable. Wow. And I risk, I would do anything. Like I didn't matter what suffering I would go through. Like I just refuse to feel, feel vulnerable and feel like I needed help. Yeah. I had this um, view that if I admitted that I needed help and let someone help me, that I wasn't going to be okay in life because wow. like I had never gone through anything difficult. So I, I had that like very strong view of, I have to figure this out myself. Like I can't let God do it. I can't let anyone else do it. I have to do it. And if I don't, I am absolutely in trouble mm-hmm. for when something actually bad happens. Um, and then the anger was so much easier to feel than anything else. And yeah. I had also with helping a lot of the kids that I had helped their a lot of their parents with, you know, the foster care system had done really terrible things. Mm. And I started to hate them. Um, like literally Mm. that's the first time that I like let hate into my life and into my heart. And I had major hate for those people. Like I despise them. I hated them so much. So then I had this anger from that. And just, it was so much easier to feel anger. Like I remember this moment that Chris like, do you understand how your anger is affecting me and like the people around you? And I was like, like just looked Chris straight in the eyes and said, I could care less how that's, how that is affecting Mm -hmm. you. If you had any idea what I felt like when I wasn't angry, you would be glad I'm angry because it was such an awful feeling to feel the other way. So I went to anger. This is so insightful because, you know, what you guys are, I love what you said, Chris, that even, even in this helpless state that you're in, as far as being wheelchair bound, you felt, you felt more helpless and more out of control in relationship. 
And I think that is um, one of the dilemmas of relationship and being vulnerable with each other. And then compound that with walking through some trials and some difficulties and having some spotlight on you in the process of it too, right? Some public spotlight where you feel this need to kind of continue to put on this, you know, hey, we're overcomers, we're going to get through this. And yet on the inside, you're, you're dying, you know, you're on the, everything feels like it's crumbling. And um, just an intense amount of pressure that you guys were walking through. I, I'm, I'm curious, how did you guys, especially Emily, how did you crawl out of this, especially since you were, you were so vehement about not getting help from somebody? What, it, what was the turning point for you? Um, we started to go to church again and that's what changed it. So we had really gone away from that. Um, and the first time I ever went to church, I went to a church by myself, a Catholic church. That's where I grew up in a Catholic church. Mm -hmm. So I literally didn't tell anybody I was going and I went in by myself and cried the whole time. And it was about prayer and how important it is. That's the first time. Like I, I usually, when I was younger and growing up until the depression, I would write in a journal, like to God and pray. Mm -hmm. And I stopped completely. And so I went after, I bought a journal. I wrote in it for the first time about how I was feeling and tears. I just sat in a parking lot and cried mm. for a long time and prayed for the first time in like a few years. And, um, so after that, then there was another, a church that came open called Christ fellowship right by our house apartment. And we decided to start going every week. And I started to get strength and knew that like I needed to get help. Mm. Um, and so I, I made an appointment, didn't tell anyone, didn't tell Chris. Um, literally none of my family had any idea that I was going through this. I put on a face and pretended like things were fine. Um, and again, didn't want to be right. vulnerable. Right. Um, so then eventually though, I did make an appointment and went in and like almost canceled it on the way there actually. Mm. But I prayed instead and asked God for strength to do it. And through tears, I went in there and um, got some medication. And I, it was, I was like, why did I not do this before? Mm. Like, that was insane. And so at that point then, um, God was totally teaching me to depend on him. Mm. And I learned so much that you can't go through life without him. Yeah. Um, and you can't carry the things that I was carrying on my shoulders. And, um, so slowly like things started turning around with God and with that medication. Um, mm. and there's about a few weeks after I, we were playing a card game and I, it hit me like, I would look at Chris. I'm like, Chris, we have a great life. Like that was the first <laughs> time I had thought that in so long because wow. I went so deep into that um, depression and struggling with anxiety. I wasn't sleeping. My resting heart rate was in the high nineties. Um, and for so long I fought it, fought it, fought it and caused so much extra suffering. And I really hope that through our story that people who feel like they have to do things themselves or feel like they can't get help, that they'll get it sooner than I did. Um, and go out and just do it (laughs) because it changed everything. And I felt stronger because I got help after I did it. I didn't feel weak. Like I thought I was going to, I felt stronger. And then just realizing like we're we're, with being foster parents and all of that, we couldn't do that. If I didn't learn those things, learn to put the weight on him because we're dealing with harder things with these kids than we've ever dealt with in our life. But I can now do it because I know to turn to God and that God's the only one that can be the savior and turn darkness into light and this pain and abuse that kids go through and put, put it, turn into a purpose. Wow. Um, to, to what extent, Emily, did you have to lean in on Chris during this time? And what was that like almost feeling like there was a role reversal there, you know, for the longest time you, and of course, physically, you're still helping him out through this process, but now emotionally you're having to really, you know, he's kind of playing that role for you in a lot of ways. Obviously, of course the Lord is, but I'm sure there's an extent at which Chris had to be some of that for you as well. What was that like for you? Yeah. I mean, so going through that, when I was in such a dark place, like I was mean, I was really mean. Mm. And I was a person that I never thought I would ever be ever. Mm. Um, like the things I said to Chris. And, um, so after, and just like seeing how he stuck by my side through it all, I just grew this like greater appreciation for him and greater love. Um, and just really just felt like, I just, I just having him there, like, I couldn't believe, like, after I'm like, why would have you not left me? Like, I would have, I think I would have left you if you did the things and said the things (laughs) to me that I did. And um, he stuck by my side. So, I mean, it made us so much stronger because of it. 
That's awesome. Have you have you learned because you know it's it's very difficult I think to enter into other people's pain and not take it on to sometimes an unhealthy degree. And that's something you mentioned, you know, earlier as you were describing this for us. Have you learned how to distinguish those? You know, what and, and if so, offer some advice to us in that because you know, if you're if people are listening to this podcast, either they're walking through pain or they know someone who's walking through pain and they're learning empathy, their empathy is being enhanced. I know that as I step into pain, I struggle with taking that load on um, of other people's pain. How do how do you how do you divide that out properly to stay healthy? Yeah, I mean it's honestly it's a constant battle because I am still very independent. I wanna do things and yeah. for our kids, I wanna do it. Um, but I it's this constant battle of like giving it to God. Um, mm. because there are there, we've heard stories and the kids that we've had in our care have been like just unimaginable abuse has happened to them. And yeah. so I constantly, I'm praying to, that I feel enough and I don't shut myself down to do everything in my power, but to not let it affect me in a negative way, um, where it brings me down and just taking that weight off my shoulders and giving it to God. Like there are many, many, many moments where I put my hands in the air or get down on my knees and just ask God to take it away. Yeah. Like I feel it weighing me down. And that's not like just a one-time thing. That is a constant every, I mean, whatever it's, you know, you hear, hear that pain, like you just have to give it to him because holding that pain doesn't do anything. Um, it doesn't, it brings you down. It doesn't, you can't do what you can. Like I just, instead I get to work doing everything I can to be there and turn them to God. And I've taken off so much of that pressure of realizing like, I can't do it. And I'm okay with not being able to, um, like, you know, help these kids so much and change their lives. But I know that through God and with his strength and pointing the kids to him that he can. Um, so there's less pressure taken off of it. I still do everything in my power and I still get to work like spreading God's word and his love through me but pointing them to God instead of taking that responsibility and then taking the weight off. Um, our, our five-year-old Izzy, sweetest thing happened a while ago. She, I mean, I can't go into any of her story because that's not my story to share, but mm. gone through really hard things and the weight was weighing her down. Mm. And there was a day when she told me she's ready to give it to God. And so she got down, we got down on our knees and she just started praying to God, God, Please take the sadness out of my heart. Take it far, far away where no one can find it. And she asked God to take it away. And so wow. I think of her a lot and think about like if a five-year-old who's gone through such terrible things can do that, like it reminds me to do the same um, as much as I can. Wow. That's awesome. It's, it's, you know, scripture says in Galatians 6 two, carry each other's burdens. And in that way you fulfill the law of Christ, right? So on one hand, it tells us carry each other's burdens, Right. But then it also says in First Peter 5, 7, cast your cares on him. So right. like I kind of think of us, you know, as, as almost like mail carriers, right? Like we receive a burden from somebody and we're just taking it and delivering it to the Lord. Yes. And then like teaching other people how to, how to do the same. And I love what you did. Um, you know, with Lizzie, is that what you said her name is? Izzy. 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 I yep. love what you did with Izzy right there where you're like, hey, Izzy, you, you cast that on the Lord. Yeah. Like, cause that's the ultimate yeah. goal is to show them how to do that. And for a while we can carry burdens, but we're not, we're not load bearing, you know, uh, species. We're, we're on two, we, we walk on two legs, not four, you know, we're not oxen. We're not horses. We're not anything that's supposed to carry a load. God made us upright. We're not supposed to. And, and we're supposed to take on his yoke, Jesus said, and his burden, which is light, which is easy. And so, man, what a great, um, what a great epiphany that you were having as you were walking this journey, um, because you can tell you're a helper and there are a lot of helpers who are out there and that's such a good thing, but it can get to a very unhealthy thing if you're, um, you know, destroying yourself in the process. Man. Yep, absolutely. We will get back to this amazing conversation shortly. But in the meantime, I want to tell you about one of the resources we are offering to our Nothing is Wasted monthly partners, a monthly teaching video. Every month, we are releasing a teaching video about a topic or principle that I've learned as I've walked through finding purpose in my pain these past few years. This exclusive video is only available to our $10 and $20 a month partners. For our second video, which we're releasing this month, I'm talking about transitions and seasons. 
What might God be trying to communicate to you through transitions in your life? How do you transition well? How do you know if God is trying to transition you or your family? How do you deal with abrupt transitions and more? If you want to learn more about becoming a monthly partner and how to gain access to this video and more, head over to nothingiswasted.com slash partners. Again, that's nothingiswasted.com slash partners. Here's a little soundbite from that teaching video. follow vision, follow God, follow exactly what he told you to do, even if it doesn't make any sense. And then as you begin to take steps, the Red Sea parts in front of you. As you begin to take steps, the Jordan River parts in front of you. As you begin to take steps, things begin to lay out in front of you. Because what you don't know is that while God is having conversations with you about the transition you need to take, he's also going ahead of you to the place you need to transition to, and he's having conversations with others, and he's setting up providential means of provision for you. But our job is to follow vision, and provision follows us. So the seven longest yards, this was some of those. Were there any other, any other yardage marks that had to, you know, that you guys are walking through as you're as you're trying to get to this next big goal in your life of, of walking down the aisle? Yeah. I mean, uh, so even amongst like kind of the pain and like the drama that we were having, you know, Emily, she's a helper at heart. She wants to do everything she can. And so um, then Whitley came back into our lives. I mean, she was always part of our lives, but in, in a very strong way. So uh, when we were 23 and 24, we're in an apartment in Florida and we're still, you know, battling ourselves. Uh, Whitley called and said that she's 17. Um, you know, I, she got kicked out of her last placement. Mm. Um, she, she's struggling uh, mentally, physically. She's going to be put into juvenile detention um, unless someone steps up and help her. And no one will, except she's asking for us to step up and to help her. Someone that's six and seven years younger than us. Mm. And it, we had a. She asked if we could foster her. And so we and I talked about it and it was really scary because we, we didn't know what the future held. But what was more scary is if we said no, what would then happen to Whitley? Mm. Uh, and we, we couldn't live with that. And so we, we took her in. A lot of people thought we were crazy, which hey, we kind of are. We are. That's <laughs> but, yeah, that's okay. Um, and our goal, we were going to get her to graduate high school. She's way behind. And we know just how important like a diploma, like having that at least yeah. as a fallback, how that could be so important. So as you can imagine, parenting someone six and seven years younger than you um, can be uh, quite challenging. Uh, but we also had um, some great moments too. Uh, like I'll never forget uh, the time where Whitley called in sick. And so I went to the school to, to get her and I get to the nurse's office and I say, I'm here to pick up Whitley. And the nurse looks at me kind of confused. She says, well, other students aren't allowed to check a student out. <laughs> she didn't say that. Oh my oh, gosh. Yeah. yeah. That's and awesome. then Whitley chimes in. She's like, oh no, that's my dad. <laughs> and the look on that nurse's oh. face was priceless. That's awesome. Like her jaw just dropped like, what? And she's trying to do the math in her head. You can tell, like <laughs> trying to figure it out. And that would end up being one of Whitley's favorite thing to do. Like in public was wow, they refer to us as mom and dad just to see people's <laughs> heads turn and just like jaw drop. That's so great. And so, um, and then also like having Whitley was also a big reason why we also made that commitment to go to church mm. that ended up saving Emily too. Because we knew faith was never really part of her life. Mm-hmm. And we knew how important it was, although it wasn't the forefront of our relationship and how we were living because we were struggling and we made the wrong choice of pushing God back. Mm. But because of Whitley, we knew we had to push it forward and how important it could be for her. And so because of that, we made that commitment. We got to go to church. We got to get Whitley to church. But really, God needed all three of us in that church yeah. uh, building. And that really um, ended up saving us and inspired us to continue to help kids in the foster care system. Because after Whitley graduated, she wanted to take college classes and she, so she did graduate, got a diploma, and she went back to Iowa, where she's from, um, with her sister to take college courses. And then Emily and I uh, opened our home for more kids. Wow. So um, I, 
I don't know if I want to. I, I don't know if we want to do a spoiler alert. I think people need to go read the book to see if you actually did the the seven longest yards, if you actually have c- accomplished <laughs> it or not. Unless you feel comfortable sharing that with us, but <laughs> yeah, um, you know, it's something that you you'll know that we did it, but it's everything that led yeah. to that moment yeah. is really the you know what's powerful and what's. And everything that transpired during that time to get to that point mm. is really, I think, um, I mean, where the magic is for anyone who right. achieves something, achieves a goal. It's um, while everyone celebrates and enjoys that end result, it's really uh, um, that everyday decision just to keep going forward yeah. and to take that one step, uh, even when you don't feel like it. Even if you're questioning what's going on, what's happening around you in that storm, uh, that's really where uh, we hope people will see and encourage themselves to do that take that step and keep going forward. And so we, we share a lot in our book um, about these storms and, mm-hmm. and how we were able to just thankfully uh, keep going and get through it. Man. So right now you guys have adopted five kids, right? Yep. And you're fostering two more. <laughs> yes. So you're, and how old are you guys? 26. Both of you, 26 years old. Yep. Yeah. And you have seven kids. <laughs> Come on, say it can't be done, right? Exactly. That's like your motto, uh, isn't it, Chris? Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Um, but no, we'll get like we'll go like out to eat or something. We'll have people just like literally like right in the right in the middle of like a meal come over. Are these your kids? <laughs> like they're just like uh, perplexed. I think I'm babysitting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But no, it's kind of crazy because when we first started after Whitley left, we said we'll take one kid under the age of two. And we're like, we're going to start small. Um, I had other experience working with older kids as well. And I was like, let's just start small. And the first placement we got was a two-month-old and a three-year-old little boy. So we ended up with two. Wow. And then it slowly, actually very quickly, went up then to five, which was kind of crazy. But um, I know. Yeah, I was, um, I was terrified, yeah. though, because, I mean, parenting from a wheelchair was – very, very scary because yeah. I didn't know how that would go, how that would look. And I've noticed like there's so many times where <laughs> I'm really content with where I'm at, um, hopeful for the future, but very content mm-hmm. with where I'm at. And every single time I step into a new life stage, it really just rips off the bandaid and exposes like a new source of vulnerability or pain. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, what started out as, you know, the pain of not being that athlete and grieving that and then the pain of like when I got in a relationship with Emily of not being this what I envisioned to be this strong protector defender macho uh independent man and uh, being like a very dependent um person and then mm. being a parent my dad spoiled me when I was a kid my dad was uh, my playmate like he was throwing mm. me around the pool we were uh go to you know the park together we played basketball together. you know whatever it was we did everything together and not being able to do some of those physical aspects that I envisioned doing as a dad was really hard uh, and painful, um, especially this last couple of years. I'm just trying to figure out then what can I do? Mm. How can I be a great dad? Uh, because that's what I want to be. And so uh, I was pretty, I pushed back a lot on uh, Emily because I mean, Emily, uh, she feels so much and has so much passion. And I feel like I'm like the rational one where she just leads with her heart. I try to lead with my head. Mm. And we feel like we have a good, pretty good balance <laughs> uh, with that. But, um, you know, accepting these larger placements, I was uh, terrified just because I didn't know I could be the dad that I, I want to be. And like, how would that feel um, selfishly? Um, but every single time I was able to step into that fear and the unknown, I've been figuring out ways of how I can be uh, a great dad. and. Um, just focus on that, man. What are, um, what, are, I mean, I'm sure there's a billion challenges when it comes to even just this idea of, you know, adopting and, and fostering, but you know, we've got folks who listen, who are, are walking in that about to step into it. You know, that's some of the the trial that they're facing. Um, what would you say some of those challenges are as you guys have stepped into, um, both the adoption side of things, the fostering side of things. What are some of the ups and the downs of that journey? I would just say that trauma is hard. So the mm-hmm. effects that you see in the kids from trauma, um, like 
it is, it gets very difficult at times. Um, so that would be a big thing, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. Just understanding like where that behavior is coming from and yeah. that it's not out of their will to be stubborn or that they want to test you or get you angry. It's really, they are protecting themselves. They mm. don't know any other way. They don't feel safe. Although you're providing a completely safe and loving environment, they don't feel safe. No, because they never have. So why would they trust you? You know, right. so I mean, they come to like we've had kids who are a little bit older too, school aged, and so they had many years that they were in a situation that they were being abused um, or terrible things were happening around them or neglected, um, and they didn't feel safe. They didn't trust, and then they were taken away from that and placed with you, complete strangers, um, in this place that you say is safe, but they have to figure that out. So we put into place a lot of different things of like alarm systems and mm. monster spray, different things like that, where magic blanket, like all that, that they they can feel safe. But it takes a lot of time, and um, when you are like you know they don't know you at all, it takes a lot of time to build that trust, that connection. Um, but it's been completely worth it. I would. Say say another struggle like with foster care is the lack of control that you have mm. and the fear of the future um it's easy because you love these kids like we've been attached and loved every single one of the kids that have come into our home um so you start thinking about their future and that's not healthy way to do it. It doesn't, it doesn't go anywhere. So we have really had to change our perspective to just focus on every single day that we have and doing what we can to help them learn something that day and knowing that, um, it's, it's going to make a difference and it will matter. Um, something that's big that a lot of people have told us, tell us constantly is that they could never be a foster parent because they'd have to let them go and mm. they get too attached and we definitely get too attached. Um, like yeah, very it's impossible attached, not right? to. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's what the kids need, but, um, th- just everything that we're able to do and the way that we're able to help them heal from the abuse and trauma, um, and get them the help that they need. And, um, it's always been worth it. And just, to, just knowing, like I, we have an adult heart that can understand and handle things a lot better. So I way rather have my adult heart mm. hurt, but their heart to know love and their heart wow. to know what it's like to be safe and to have a family that's there. Um, we've been able to stay in contact with a lot of the kids that have left, which has been helpful too. We've built relationships with their families. Um, and honestly, that's become one of my favorite parts is being able to support their parents. The yeah. I used to you know grow hate for them, but now it's I just try to spread love and try to be there and support them, um, which has been absolutely amazing because those, those people too, you know, their parents had, have gone through hard things and probably were in the same situation as the kids. So just being able to love them and love the kids, it's never wasted. Wow. Wow. I love what you just said that, you know, when you take on an emotional maturity perspective and go, okay, wait, I have an adult heart Mm -hmm. and I'd rather my heart be hurt than to hurt this, this little one's heart. You know, because yeah. uh, oftentimes when you don't understand trauma and, you, and you're not sure why someone is reacting the way they're reacting, maybe you had a healthy upbringing or you just didn't experience some of the things they experienced, you, you, it's easy to react when they're, you know, they're responding to you in a certain way or they're acting a certain way. It, you're, you're inclined to kind of push them away with, you know, sarcasm or with anger or with, you know, just callousness or, and, and that's the last thing they need. And it's yeah. a, and and to be able to say no, you know what? I'm gonna absorb this. I'm gonna I'm gonna like take on the pain myself. It's what a what a beautiful picture of the heavenly Father, right? That he's like, okay, I'm gonna let my heart get hurt. I think I think sometimes we don't understand. We don't we don't remember that the Father hurts, right? Like yeah. like we just think of God this cosmic power that it's like no, He is a Father that hurts, and we do things that hurt the father and yet he absorbs it and he absorbed it with the perfect picture of Jesus on the cross, right? That was the ultimate absorption of the hurt that we inflicted on the father um, when Jesus went to the cross and bore our sin and our shame. But what a, what a great picture that you guys are portraying to these little ones and that it's like, Hey, I'm, I'm willing to be hurt on your behalf. Right. 
So and that's what they need. And that's where the healing happens too. Um, from what we've seen, like just absolutely like transformations have happened yeah. um, when they realize that they're loved. Like they don't even know what love is. A lot of them like unconditional love. Like they think that they do something wrong that we don't love them anymore. Wow. And so like them realizing that, no, like we will love you no matter what you do. <laughs> it's huge for them and something so just, they've never heard of it. Um, so that's been amazing to be able to just show them love. Honestly, wow. that's been a big thing and helping them to know that they're not alone. Um, they've been used to like a lot of times they're used to doing things by themselves, dealing with hard things by themselves. Um, a lot of kids are placed in group homes and in treatment centers and not in families, um, which is, I don't, I, I've been in those situations and it's for some kids, they need it, but for a lot, they just need a family. And there's just not enough families that have opened their homes to be there and love these kids. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I was uh, sharing this with Christy in the car earlier today. We took a little family uh, shop, grocery shopping trip. I was telling her that last night I was, I was talking to Weston, my four-year-old. And uh, I told him, buddy, I love you. And he looks at me and he goes, daddy, why do you always tell me you love me? And I was like, <laughs> well, because I don't want you to ever forget it. That's what I told him. And he goes, I don't forget it. Do you forget it? <laughs> Uh, that's, yeah, see, that's how what kids need to know. Kids need to know that there is yeah. love and it is there. Exactly. Yeah. But you know, this the 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 children that you're working with, a lot of people in the a lot of kids in the foster program, they're gonna forget it easily because they've yeah. not been shown yeah. that. You know, yep. their life has not been built on those the building blocks of love. It's been built on trauma or rejection or abuse. And so yep. Man, what an incredible thing you guys are doing. Brave thing that you guys are doing. That's the summation of your entire lives. It's just courage, you know, stepping into all of the things that you guys have stepped into. Um, I wish we had a lot more time, but I want to give you a moment to be able to each of you guys articulate um, what do you feel like are, are one or two of the biggest things that God has been teaching you over the course of this journey? You know, if you've got a couple last words, I don't know how you put a period on this interview. It's been awesome. But if you got a couple last words that you would tell our listeners and what God's been teaching you through this whole thing, what would you say? Yeah, I mean, I would say the biggest thing I've learned is just to love, love others. Mm. You have no idea what other people are going through. Um, you see Chris's challenges and you don't, you didn't see the challenges that I went through. Nobody knew. Just like a lot of the people that are around us every single day at work, at the grocery store, at school, wherever you are, like people are hurting, people are broken, people need love, people yeah. need kindness and compassion. And so using our us to be able to just be the vessel to show love and the love that God has for us to other people um, and doing what you can to like do the extra mile for them. Mm. So they feel really loved and special. I would say is where just the biggest blessings that have happened in our life. When we went the extra mile for somebody, when we chose to sacrifice, when we chose to um, do something that was hard or difficult um, for someone else. And that's where you can make like literally life changing um, transformations, which is amazing. Yeah. And then just to always depend and depend on God and know that we can't do life without him. Um, is a big thing for me that constantly just like, I am not enough to be able to get through everything and that's okay, but God is, yeah. and it's okay if I need help. It's okay if I struggle with this, um, I'm not perfect, never will be. And that's how God designed us. And so just really leading to him to get your strength and continuing to just find strength and courage to do hard things for other people. Cause I truly believe that that's why we're here is to, by the end of like, we want to know that we did everything we could to help other people yeah. by the end of our life, that we lived a life for God and he used us to make the world a better place. That's great. Chris, what about yeah. you, man? Yeah, Jeff, I mean, if I could go back and change that play where I got hurt, I wouldn't do it mm. because I found a life and a purpose worth living for. Wow. And, I, and I've learned a lot over the last eight years, but when I hear people say they can't, what they really mean is they won't mm. uh, because when you are committed to your faith and you love unconditionally and you continue to work hard and persevere, that the possibilities are endless. And so we're just hopeful that we can show all of that um, through our story and we, we will continue to love like Jesus, which, um, which a lot of people think is, is crazy and, that, and that's okay. Um, uh, we just want to uh, show God's love and, uh, keep doing what we're doing and we're just uh, blessed to be alive. Man. Well, you guys are truly an inspiration. You really, really are. 
Um, I'm proud of y'all for the way that you've stepped into everything that you have. Um, we are in your corner. We're some of your biggest fans all the way up back up in the Midwest. <laughs> Even yeah. though we're very envious of where you're living right now, we are your biggest, <laughs> some of your biggest fans. So man, thank you so much for, for taking the time with us and, and uh, hanging out with us on the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. Man, Mel, an inspiring couple, an inspiring family. I follow Chris on Instagram, and it's really cool to see their adventures when it comes to foster parenting and how he's traveling and telling his story. And I can't imagine, I mean, traveling in a wheelchair, and yet this guy is doing whatever it takes to turn his pain into purpose. And um, this is this is what we just mentioned, the intro. We talked about the very last two waypoints of the video course. And one of those is to find your purpose and, and use it to help other people in their pain. And that's exactly what Chris is doing. Yeah, I love that. Um, yeah, so encouraging to hear. Again, the Pain to Purpose video course releases this week, which is really exciting. So, yeah, it is. Um, yeah, it's going to be $49 before July 14th. It's going to bump up to 99 after. Which is only a couple of days. So you got to yeah, go and get it now. Left you don't have much all. time. That's right. Yeah. And while you are pre-ordering this amazing content, go ahead and rate and review us um, at iTunes or write in your story to us at hello at nothingiswasted.com. And also you should just go ahead while you're at it, just follow us on Instagram. Yeah. It's pretty great over there. <laughs> Why don't you just take a full journey right now where you're at? Just take a full journey. Mypaintopurposeplan.com. Go ahead and snag the video course. Then you can go take a little left turn, go to iTunes, rate and review, just like Mel told us. Then you can go over to Instagram. You can follow us. Come on. Might as well just promenade. Go down the nothing is wasted nothing rabbit is wasted. hole. That's what you need to do That's for the exactly next 10 minutes. That's exactly what you need to do. <laughs> <laughs> and then while you're at it, go download Sleeping at Last Music. All of them. All the yep. songs. Every single one of them. Because it's amazing. Thanks again, Ryan, for providing all the music for this. And before we sign off, why don't you take a listen to this clip from the next episode of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. Thanks for listening, guys. On June 15th, 2016, um, I mean, I remember it like yesterday, we were living in the tiny house. He um, left for a morning of work. He left at like 6.20 in the morning, mm. uh, was driving downtown to work. We lived up in like Geist area. Yeah. And... At 6.30, I texted him to see if he was okay because I hadn't gotten mm -hmm. a text back. Um, and then at 6.40, same thing. I woke up. He hadn't texted me that he was fine. So I kind of, you know, simple thing. I was like, oh, just kind of prayed for him. Literally just rolled back over and hit the snooze button. Uh, and then at 7, I got a call from someone at the hospital downtown. And it actually was from Derek's phone. So I was mm. like, oh, that's weird. Uh, he must have forgot his laptop. Um, answered the phone and it was just like, I remember, remember it, his name was David and he had just called to tell me that Derek had been in a really serious accident.